Good morning and welcome to the Rhine River Baptist Church. It's good to have everybody with us and we'll probably have some music later today. We've still got uh, Enders is on his way uh, with the snow this morning. It's been a fun day getting to church, hasn't it? Uh, I was amazed when I got up this morning and I saw the snow out there. It was kind of neat. So um, as we get started, though, this morning, um, let's go ahead and grab our Bibles and we're going to turn to Matthew chapter 16. We're going to finish up chapter 16 today. And I thought to begin with, we should kind of stretch it out because there are like three different sermons right here that could be preached. I've heard preached on this and plenty of commentary on it. But I thought, let's take this overview of this paragraph and look at it. It's a really neat paragraph uh, in Matthew chapter 16, verse 21. Um, Now, I'm going to ask, though, uh, real quick, for those of you that were here last week, um, what happened last week with Peter? Does anybody remember what happened with Peter last week? He, He made a statement, and Jesus said something about his statement. He said, Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven revealed this to you. So he commended him. Peter, have you ever given the right answer and you're like, all right, I know everything now. I've got it all figured out. Well, I think that's how Peter was. Watch what happens to Peter this week when we read through this little section. Matthew chapter 16, verses 21 through 28. So um, I'll let you take some time to get to that. Matthew chapter 16, you're getting there, I can see, Matthew chapter 16, okay, starting in verse 21, it says this, from that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go unto Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and raised Again, the third day. Then Peter took him and began to rebuke him, saying, Be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. But he turned and said unto Peter, Get thee hence, get thee behind me, Satan. Thou art an offense unto me, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those that be of man. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. For, uh, For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man shall come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he shall reward every man according to his works. Verily I say unto you, there be some standing here which shall not taste death till they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Father God, thank you so much for your word that you've given to us. Uh, Lord, thank you so much for the promises that we see here in this, uh, this little text, this little section. I pray that you would help us to understand it a little bit better. I pray that you would receive honor and glory from all that's said and done today. Uh, We love you and praise you. We're looking forward to seeing you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we 
dive into this just a little bit more. I, I told you there are about three lessons that I think Christ wanted to try to teach here uh, as we start going through. And the first lesson, uh, have, have you ever told somebody some good news, but there has to be some bad news before you get to it? Say, for instance, we're going to take a long, long, long road trip. And, and it's going to take us three days to drive in the car and, and it, it's gonna but in the end we're gonna get to see our grandson you know what what we should be focusing on is we're gonna get to see our grandson at the end of three days driving we're gonna drive from san antonio to ponca city to clovis new mexico to tucson arizona yeah it is like almost 2,000 miles already. And, and that's the first week. So uh, a week from today, we'll be making that drive. So, so, but you can focus on, oh, we're gonna be sitting in the car for so long. Oh, that's gonna be so hard on my tailbone. Oh, and this and that and the other. But at the end, we're going to get to see our grandson. Well, here when we start to see Christ giving this admonition starting off in verse 21, uh, what does he say? He says, from that time forth began Jesus to show his disciples how that he must go to Jerusalem. We're gonna have to take a long, long walk. Can you imagine walking from here to Frankfurt? I mean, try to imagine that. Yeah, from here to Frankfurt, how long would it take us if we walked from here to Frankfurt? Uh, probably take two, maybe three days uh, to get there by foot. You know, we would do a couple of overnights. That's a long walk. We're going to have to go from here. You know, you've got to remember where they were at. They were up by the Sea of Galilee. They've got to walk all the way down the Jordan River, cross over the Jordan River, then go up through the mountain areas and where there are thieves and robbers and whatnot and get to Jerusalem. Uh, it, it was a long walk. It would probably take them about a week. So it's a little bit further than from here to, to Frankfurt. But, okay, we've got to take a long walk. Then when we get there, what does Jesus say? Uh, must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes. When you suffer many things from a bunch of people like that, do, is it something that you look forward to? Uh, not really. Uh, we don't look forward to suffering at all. Um, but he says, and suffer many things uh, of the scribes and be killed. And then what does he say? And raised again the third day. Uh, what has Jesus just said here? He has given us the gospel in a nutshell. I've got to die and be buried and then rise the third day. And what was it that Peter picked up on? You're going to go and suffer and die. Um, Peter should have already known what was getting ready to happen. Jesus needed to suffer at the hands of the leaders. Uh, and, and he has showed this all along. But this is something that was foretold from centuries before. I mean, if you've read Psalm chapter 22, you see, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? I've been pierced through. I can number all my bones. I'm you know, they should have known this. But they forgot that. Uh, Isaiah 53, um, 
All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. You know, he was beaten. He was bruised. It pleased the Lord to bruise him. Yeah, we don't think about that. They weren't thinking about it. What were they thinking about? And Christ is trying to get them ready and trying to get them maybe excited for this because he's getting ready to save the world. Is he excited to be put to death? I don't think so. But I think he might have been excited to get it over with and to get on to. <laughs> How much fun would that have been to walk through the wall into the room with the disciples? Uh, yeah, I, I would have been looking forward to that. But here he's trying to explain this to them. And Peter's just like, he's not getting it. Uh, he needed to suffer. He needed to die. What were all the offerings about? When you go back and you study the tabernacle and the temple and you see all the different offerings that they make. I mean, I've been reading through uh, Leviticus and Numbers in my daily devotions and seeing how uh, that he's, they've got all these different offerings and all these different, you've got to wash your hands a certain way and then you go in and you offer it and then you come and, and you got that rope on your foot because you go in to offer the, the, the Yom Kippur offering and you stop jingling a little bit and well, let's drag that guy out and let's send somebody else on in. You know, it, they had all of these offerings that they had to abide by and, and they were pointing towards something but people weren't getting it because they were so focused on something else. Um, they, they should have seen that he needed to suffer, that he needed to die, but they also, if they would have paid attention to Isaiah 53 and Psalm 22, they would have seen there's indication that he's going to, something miraculous is going to happen at the end here because it, it clearly states he'll be blessed forever. He'll be counted with the, the mighty because of what he does. Um, and, and so Christ is giving them this lesson of the gospel, of his death, his burial, and resurrection. And, and most of the time when we think about the death and burial of Christ, we throw the resurrection in there and we forget how, how much suffering was involved with it, what our sin cost. And I think Christ was trying to get the disciples to understand the gospel is so much bigger than our little problems. And, but they were struggling with their little problems. Because when you get down to what Peter is saying here, down in verse uh, 22, it says, Then Peter took him and began to rebuke him, saying, Be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. Can you imagine? You know, I've been... God's been revealing things to me. He's just heard that. God's revealing things to me. Jesus, let's come to the side over here. I've got something to tell. I don't want to embarrass you in front of the other disciples. You know, I know you're saying that this is going to happen, but that's not going to happen. I'm going to make sure because God's talking to me. Who was God talking to a little bit more than to Peter? To Jesus. And I think Peter had gotten somewhat of a big head from what happened before, God's talking to me. I have heard a revelation from God. I know something. What does the Bible tell us about knowledge? Knowledge puffs up, uh, but charity edifies. And, and I think sometimes when we read the word of God, we see something, and if we're not careful, 
we get puffed up with whatever's going on. And here Peter, he, he had to take a rebuke. Peter is, he's, he's gotten some revelation and he thinks he knows the plan of God better than Jesus. He thinks he knows how things should play out. How was Peter expecting this to play out? Well, he was expecting Jesus to come in his glory with his angels and wipe out the Romans. Are the Romans the biggest problem that the Jews face today? Not at all. Were the Romans the biggest problem that the Jews faced 500 years before that? Not at all. Were the Romans the biggest problem that the Jews faced back 1,500 years before that? No, you can go back through time and you can see every time there's been another nation. There was Egypt, there was Edom, there was Moab, there was Babylon, there were the Philistines, there was... There were the Assyrians. You could go down the list every time. There's another group of people. But what was their biggest problem? Was their sin. Their sin was their biggest problem. And they never seemed to recognize that. And here Jesus is rebuking. Uh, he has to stop and rebuke Peter. Saying, wait a minute. And, and how does he do this? Uh, look at how Jesus rebukes Peter. I, I just... In my mind's eye, I see Peter's taking Jesus off to the side and saying, Jesus, I don't want to embarrass you here in front of the other disciples. So I'm going to tell you how this is. Can you go hit the little button there for, for Enders? He just got here. Thank you. I, I can just see Peter is trying to... Let me tell you how this is going to be, Jesus. Don't, you're not going to die. And, and Jesus... It appears to me in front of everybody, get thee behind me, Satan. Uh, if somebody calls you Satan, uh, what does that do to you? If I was to say to you, Robert, get thee behind me, Satan. You know, you are an offense unto me. When you say that somebody is an when we hear in our day and age, that's offensive to me. What, what do we think of? Yeah, well, you used the wrong word to describe me. You didn't describe me the way that I want to be described. Well, Jesus here is telling Peter, you're an offense to me. You're telling me I don't have to do what God wants me to do. And what do we get offended of most of the time in our time? You're telling me I can't do what I want to do. Uh, our offense is so much different than the offense that Christ took here. Why was Jesus so offended at what Peter was saying? Well, what did Jesus come to do? He came to do the will of the Father. The Bible tells us, Jesus said, I do always those things that please the Father. Uh, the glory of the Father was the most important thing to Jesus. And here Peter is saying, no, you don't have to glorify the Father. We can set up the kingdom without glorifying the Father. It'll be a whole lot easier and a whole lot better. If Jesus wouldn't have died on the cross and been buried and rose from the dead, what good is a perfect utopian world if we die and go to hell? It, it's no good. So he had to die. That was the will of the Father. And Jesus knew it. He understood it, and he had his mind's eyes set on what needed to happen here. And so he, he rebukes Peter. He says, get, 
Get thee behind me, Satan. You're an offense unto me. You don't savor the things that be of God. What does it mean to savor something? Well, I'll just give you an an example of savoring something. A few months ago, we went over to a friend's house, and he makes some of the best hamburgers I've ever had. You know, you mix the mushroom in there with it. You mix uh, different things in with it. You know, Daylene does the same thing when she mixes them together. And, And you take a bite of that hamburger, or you take a bite of a steak that's been prepared properly, and you just let it set there on your tongue, and you, wow, oh, I can taste it. Or if you take a cup of coffee, and you sip that cup of coffee, and it hits the back of your mouth, and, and, you know, and, and, and you can get like the fruity taste to it, the nutty taste to it. You can get all these different tastes coming out of the coffee, and I can just see, it's bitter. It's you don't add anything to it. Don't add any sugar to it. You want that flavor because you're savoring it. You're medit- You're thinking about the flavors as they're going into your mouth. Um, that's a form of meditation. Um, and the same word that's used for savor here is meditation. Uh, and and the Bible talks a little bit about meditation. It says in Psalm chapter one, uh, it says, "Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night." He's trying to get everything he can out of it. It's kind of like going to, you know, if you're driving through Texas, you got to stop at this place called Bucky's, and Bucky's has some of the best beef jerky. They've got you know, deer jerky. They've got bison jerky. But they've got some of the best beef jerky. And, and when you've got beef jerky in your mouth, you sit there and just chew and chew and chew. I think the German word is Vita Cowan. You, know, you just sit there and chew and chew and chew on it. And you get everything you can out of it. And finally, about an hour and a half later, you finally just swallowed a piece of meat and it. Okay, and then you take another bite of it. Well, that's what we're talking about here with, with um, the gospel uh, or with the law of the Lord. You, you meditate on it. Well, Peter had not been savoring the things of the Lord. He had been doing other things. He'd been focusing on other things. He'd been focusing on who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom uh, I look better than you do. I'm a better fisherman than you. Whatever they were using to make their claim that I should be higher in the kingdom of God than you should, that's what Peter was focusing on. Instead of what's the Father focused on? What does the Father want? How can I most glorify the Father? And so Peter needed to be rebuked. He needed to realize that. Um, that the greatest riches that he could be could receive weren't physical, but he needed righteousness. Um, Proverbs chapter eleven verse four tells us this: it says, "Riches profit not in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivereth from death." That righteousness is what we all need so much more than. I mean, we're all getting ready for Christmas. It's just Advent. You know, we've bought things for our, our family in the states. You know, we're getting ready to go back and it's, we're looking forward to this. But what do we need more than another gift? More than another toy? I mean, you think of the neatest toy that you could get for Christmas. But what do you need more than that neat toy? 
We need righteousness, the Bible tells us. Righteousness delivers from death. So Christ was giving them these rebukes, and it should have been something that Peter, thank you, I needed that. I needed to be rebuked. I don't know if that's the way he took it or not. That should have been the way he took it had taken it. But then you go on down just a little bit further in verse 24 and on down, we find Jesus giving one of the greatest compilations, if you will, of wisdom in in this section. Verse 24, uh, Matthew chapter 16, verse 24, it says this, then Jesus said, uh, then said Jesus unto his disciples, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life will lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. For what is a man profited if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Uh, What better wisdom could we have here? I mean, when you're laying on your deathbed, when you're getting ready to pass away, if you have all the money in the world, if you had as much money as Elon Musk has. How much money does he have? Well, who knows how much money he has? It changes every day. But if you had as much money as he has and you're getting ready to die, what do you do? I want to go see the world real quick. So let's get on the plane. And yeah. Is that really what you're going to do if you're getting ready to die? It doesn't matter how much money you have if you're getting ready to die. It's not going to buy you one more day. Uh, Having a little bit more money is not going to buy you one more day. Jesus says, if any man will come after me, what's, what's he got to do? Let him deny himself. How tough is that to deny ourselves? I mean, for the disciples, that's something they were not doing at all. They, I'm going to be the one sitting here. Well, I'm going to have this office. Well, I'm going to be the greatest in the kingdom because of this. And they were all trying to promote themselves instead of denying themselves. And what had Christ done? He had denied himself all the way. Where had Christ come from? We're celebrating Christmas. And, and when we stop and think about where Jesus was born, um, Addison, can you help me here? Where was Jesus born? Do you remember the name of the little town where Jesus was born? Oh, little town of... Do you, do you know which town it was? Bethlehem. You would have known. I, I knew you knew it, but I thought Addie might get... Oh, little town of Bethlehem. This is a, a no-name town. Nobody knew about Bethlehem, but he was born here. Where had Jesus come from? You know, before he was in Bethlehem. Heaven. (laughs) He was in heaven. I mean, the glory that he had before with his father. Can you imagine the glory of heaven? Uh, Say, for instance, you have to go from Disneyland. You get to live in Disney World. That would be so much fun, wouldn't it, to, to live in Disney World and to be able to eat whatever you wanted in Disney World all the time. You live in the castle there at Disney World. And then you go from there, and then you have to go live in Haiti or somewhere like that. Yeah. No, Haiti is no fun. Yeah, it's just, it, and I'm not trying to be down on the Haitian people. It's just, it's just that area is... One of the poorest in the world. It's not fun. Well, think of where Christ came from. He went from heaven 
to a third world country at a time when they were oppressed, uh, it just, it would have been terrible. But that's what he did for us. Uh, he denied himself. If any man will come after me, if you're going to be like me, you've got to learn to deny yourself. And that's what Jesus is telling his disciples. And his disciples just are not getting it. Deny ourselves? We've been taught all the time we've got to promote ourselves. We've been taught that we have to stand up for our rights. We've been taught that we have to fight for our freedom. You know, if you think of Simon the Zealot, was it Simon the Zealot? The, one of the disciples, you know, here's a person that has actively fought against the, the Romans to try to get the freedom for the Jews. And, and what's been going on? Deny yourself. You mean I can't fight for my own freedom anymore? That's what Jesus is telling Simon the Zealot. Let him deny himself and take up his cross. What does it mean to take up a cross? Uh, what was a cross? The cross was the the worst form of punishment that the Romans had come up with. I talked about this on my podcast a little bit earlier this week about the cross, that uh, here was a, an instrument of death that the Romans had developed. Uh, the first place that we see um, like a cross of any type, uh, the first place that I see it was with the Persians. Uh, you take Haman and he got hung on his own cross, if you will. And what they had was just a stake that they would stick through a person and then put them up on the stake and they'd just be like that. Well, the Romans took it a step further and they made it where uh, it would suffocate you. If, if you were impaled, you would normally bleed out from internal bleeding and different things. And it was relatively quick. I mean, within five or 10 minutes, you're dead. You know, you're hung up there. Everybody gets to see you. But with crucifixion, it would take days to die. I mean, days. You could stay on the cross. Uh, I think the longest that I have ever read about of anyone dying on a cross was three days. It just was excruciating. Three whole days on a cross. Uh, and, and just the way that, that it worked. And here Christ is saying, if you want to come after me, you need to be willing to take a cross. You need to be willing to, to die a form of death that might take up to three days. It, it's going to be a long, drawn-out process because not only did you have to die on the cross, you, you had to carry your cross to where you were going to die. Can you imagine? I mean, we, we say about that in our day and age, this is cruel and unusual punishment. So um, that's what Jesus is telling his disciples. You've got to deny yourself. You've got to give up your right to your own um, individuality, even, you might say. Deny yourself. Uh, what is it that makes you you? Um, deny being able to push that forward and turn that over to God so that he can use that. Deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me. Um, and, and who? Are, then he goes on in verse 25. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. If you try to hang on to this, what's going to eventually happen? Um, when you look back through time and, and you see, um, I think the guy is still alive, but when I was a little kid, there was a, this guy that was really known for being a uh, fitness guru. His name was, I think it's Richard Simmons. Simmons? 
Yeah, I was going to say Richard Pryor, but that no, that's a whole different person. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but but anyway, yeah. And I saw him a few years ago. And I'm like, that man is old. Yeah, he's yeah, yeah. He he has stayed fit, but eventually he's going to lose the battle here. He's winning it every day, a little bit, but a little bit he's losing it every day because I mean, you just lose the battle. Uh, I. We were watching a, a TV series, and, and uh, there was a lady on there that gave a life is like you fight a battle a day, and, and you keep fighting the battle until one day you lose. That's just the way it is. You, you finally lose fighting the battle. And, and if you try to hang on to your life, eventually you're going to lose it. But if you give up your life, and you realize that, it's not mine to keep. Then what does Christ say? And whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. For what is man profited if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? I mean, this body, it's only here for maybe 80 years, maybe 85 years. You know, they means uncle made it to 100. I mean... A hundred years, that sounds like a lot. But if you make it to a hundred, how, how much longer is eternity than a hundred years? It's, it's a lot, right? So what would you rather invest in? Eternity or the 15, 20 years you might have at retirement? You know, eternity, right. That's what you need to be investing in. And that's what Christ is pointing out to his disciples here. And then he goes on just a little bit further. And I love the, the way he's, he's put this. I've got this highlighted in my Bible here. He says this, For the Son of Man shall come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he shall reward every man according to his works. Do you see what Jesus is telling his disciples here? You can be working towards earning rewards in heaven. I was with somebody just a, about a week and a half ago, and I was talking about this, that, you know, looking forward to getting to heaven. I know I probably won't have a lot of rewards, but I hope to have some. I want to work towards having some rewards. And, and the, the other person said, yeah, I'll just be glad to make it in by the skin of my teeth. And I thought to myself, you know, it sounds kind of humble that, you know, I, I'm just not much, I can't do much. But if God has given us the talents that we have, he knows how weak and how frail we are. And he still said, uh, it, it's not how much we do, it's how we do what we do. Uh, it's required among men that a man be found what? Talented? No, it's not talented. Rich? No. Uh, uh, conniving? No. It's required among men that a man be found faithful. And if we're faithful with what God's given to us, we can look forward to these rewards. That's what he's telling his disciples here, that there's a reward coming in just a little bit. And then he goes on to say, and some of you sitting here are not going to die until you see this coming. Uh, now, did, what did they see? Well, you had Peter again with James and John. And, and we'll see this in February when we come back to this, but Peter, James, and John going up on the mountain and seeing Christ. Could you imagine what that would have been like to see Christ in his glory? Uh, 
it, it makes me wonder why they didn't just kill themselves right there and say, let's get on to it. I, I, I'm ready for that. But, you know, that's totally against the Jewish tradition and it's totally against the word of God. They knew they had something to do, but still, they should have been looking forward to the glory that God was providing or that, that he was showing later on in the future. And they, they were missing it. They, they just weren't getting it. When you keep reading through Matthew, you see this over and over and over again. They don't get it. They just didn't get it. Um, and, and so he's got to keep rebuking them, keep telling them. So what can we learn from this? What can we learn from this little encounter that Jesus has with Peter uh, and, and all of the disciples? Well, first off, we need to learn that the gospel is good news. Even the death and the burial are good news. That Christ was willing to die for us. That he was willing to, to go through the, the humiliation of death and burial for us. What good news. If he's willing to go through that for us, what else is he willing to do for us? I mean, how many good gifts does he have in store for us if he's willing to go through that for us? It's amazing. The gospel is good news. And yet so much of the time, we shy away from telling people the good news of the gospel. We don't look for opportunities to bring forward the gospel that Christ died for our sins. I mean, and I guess that's the, the reason we don't like to deal with the gospel is because our sins. Nobody likes to hear that you're a sinner. I mean, we all like to hear we're perfect just the way we are. I am sorry, anybody that says that they're perfect just the way they are, they're lying to themselves. And if you support them in that lie, I'm sorry for you. That just, building your life on a lie is ridiculous. But that's what we've done in our day and age. And we're so afraid to say that somebody, that's wrong. That's not right. Uh, that should not happen. You were created to be this way this is what God created you for. We have so much trouble with that because we don't want to offend anybody. We should be more, we, we should be more concerned with offending God. Look at Peter. I mean, he was not concerned with offending God, with offending Jesus. And, you know, and, and it looks like he wanted to do it politely, but he was an offense to God. Do you want to offend God more or do you want to offend, are you afraid of offending God more than you are afraid of offending your neighbor? I mean, and we don't have to be rude about it, but we do have to be truthful in the way that we deal with things. But he died for our sins. Each and every one of us are sinners. He died for our sins. When we see his death, we see how much God hates sin and how much sin separates us from God. He died for our sins according to the scriptures and that uh, how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. That's what we find in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses three and four. This is the gospel, that we can be reconciled to God because of the death, burial, and resurrection. The resurrection shows us that Death isn't all there is. There's hope after. This has been accepted by God, and now we can come into the presence of God 
because of the death, burial, and now he's leading us into the presence of God. It's just, what a wonderful, what wonderful news. There's nothing better. But so much of the time, we try to pick out other things that, well, this is really what the gospel is about. It's about loving people. It has nothing to do with love. It's about justice and righteousness. And then the love comes after that. The love, once you get past the justice and the righteousness, then you can fall in love with Christ. But if you try to fall in love with Christ before the justice and righteousness are dealt with, uh, I was talking to Daylene about this, uh, I think it was just yesterday or so, uh, about marriage, how that so many people like to, well, it's like we're married. Until you've made that commitment, you haven't made the commitment. You know, that's not marriage. And, and you don't understand it until you have made that commitment. And Christ wants that commitment with us. He wants us to commit to him. He wants to commit to us. And that salvation that he died for our sins, that he was buried and he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. That's the gospel. Also, something that I see that is so encouraging about this is the rebuke. The rebuke of Peter. If he wouldn't have been rebuked, what would that have shown about Christ's relationship to Peter? Mm, don't really care about him. If, as a child, if you're not corrected by your parents, what does that really say? Let me just ask a quick question to, to the little kids here and the big kids. If you could eat ice cream all day long and cake all day long and drink Coke all day long and would that be really good for you? If your dad lets you do that, how would that be? If your dad just lets you, you, you just eat whatever you want, you know, and, and you don't have to brush your teeth. Don't brush your teeth because I'm, I'm not gonna fight with you on that. What's that showing about that? It's showing that he really doesn't care about you. Because if you eat, if you drink Coke all day long, what's going to happen to your teeth? <laughs> They're going to rot. Uh, and, and if you eat ice cream all day long, what's going to happen to your your muscles? They're not going to grow the way they should. You're going to you're not going to be healthy the way you should. So that discipline that your parents have, that's a good thing, and it shows their love for you. The same way is true with God. When he disciplines us, Hebrews tells us this. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 6, it says this. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. When he, the ones he loves, and he loves everybody, but the ones that are his children, he corrects them. Uh, when we look at the world and we see people that are living wicked lives, and it just seems to be going well for them, it, isn't it discouraging to everyone else just a little bit? You see them and you think, ah, if I only had that Porsche, uh, it would be so good. If I only had that car, if I only had that house, if I only, why doesn't God get, would it, would it be such an outrageous thing if God made me a rich man, if I were a rich man? I don't know if anybody's ever seen this. Yeah, uh, but would it be such a problem for his, amazing plan if he made me a rich man and, and we look at that and we think God doesn't love us because he doesn't make us rich or he doesn't give us what we want 
And that's like a little kid saying, well, my parent doesn't love me because he won't let me eat ice cream all day long. It's silly. Um, God is more concerned with our character and with our righteousness, the way that we present him, than he is with our comfort. And, and we need to understand that he loves us and he's willing to correct us so that we'll be fit, the Bible tells us, that we're fit for heaven. Do you realize that right now it's just training for heaven? And if you can experience heaven a little bit better, wouldn't you be willing to do that right now? Go through a little bit of hardship right now so that 100 years from now you can be enjoying something for forever. That's the way that we ought to be looking at this. The last thing that I want us to, to think about with this whole thing, we should learn that only by dying can we truly live. Um, John chapter 12, verse 24 says this, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. Uh, what is it saying here? I don't know if anybody in here has ever worked in a garden. I think some people have worked in a garden a little bit. I hate gardens. I, it just it drives me insane. To, weeds and keeping it clean. Oh, I hated working in a garden when I was a little kid. I, I mean, my, my grandparents' garden. Robert, you think you've got it bad? Let me, let me explain what I had, okay? I had, we had our garden, and our garden was about half an acre. It was a big garden. And, and then we had my grandparents' garden, and that was about a half an acre for them. And, and then we had my grandpa's garden in town, and that was about a half an acre. And then we had my other grandma's garden down at the other farm, and it was about an acre. It was that big. We had more food than we knew what to do with, but they'd grown up in the Great Depression, and they were afraid. We canned everything that we could. We had froze everything that we could. We, I mean, working in the garden was just a summer job, and I could earn, I think my grandma was paying me $1.25 an hour to work in the garden. I mean, that was big money back in the 80s. A dollar, no, it wasn't. I mean, you could work all summer long and still not have enough money to buy a Game Boy. Uh, yeah, it just, yeah, it, it just, but we would take that little seed and we would put it in the ground and you mash it down with your thumb and then you cover it over and then you try to keep it clean and you try to keep the, the weeds out of it and then you come back a week later and you start to see a little sprout and then another week later, and you, it's a little bit bigger, and you come back in August, and, you know, well, my grandpa's goal was always to have sweet corn by July 4th. I, I don't know how he did it, but he always had sweet corn by July 4th. Um, but he worked with it. He worked quite vigorously with it. But if you put one seed in to get two ears of corn, how many kernels of corn are on, what do you call it? on an ear of corn. How many kernels are on an ear? Uh, I think uh, it's 300 uh, or something like that. And so you're getting about 600 kernels of corn from one corn in the ground. That, that's amazing. Uh, peas are kind of the same way. You know, you put one pea in the ground and you get this plant and you get several pods of peas and we would sit there and shuck the peas and eat one and chuck one and eat one and chuck one and eat one. Mm -hmm. You know, and that's how we did it. And 
Well, you'd work all day long to just get a pile of peas so that you could can it and so you'd have peas through the winter time. But you put that little seed in the ground and it would take a while for it to grow. Think about your life as being a seed. And what does God want from your life? He wants fruit. And how does he have to get that fruit? In John chapter 15, we see a little bit about how he gets it. He prunes, he cultivates, he lifts things up, he cleans things off, he washes us by the washing of the water of the word. And, and then in verse eight, it says this, herein is my father glorified that ye bear much fruit, so shall ye be my disciples. If we want to glorify the father, we ought to be willing to be disciplined. We ought to be willing to be used to bring forth much fruit. What's the fruit that he's looking for? Well, we think about numbers with people coming to church, but we also ought to think about the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith. How much faith do we have? I mean, think about this. Do we really believe that he's coming soon? Do we really believe that this is his word and he wants us to follow it? How, how closely are we following his word? Uh, this, we ought to be looking for his return. It could come at any time. It could be in the next five minutes or it might be in the next 500 years. We don't know, but we know he's coming. He said he would and we ought to be looking forward to it. We ought to just start falling in love with God, use me. I want to be close to you so that I can bear fruit. Because what did Jesus say? If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you'll bear fruit. But aside from me, you can do nothing. That's what Peter was struggling with here. He was apart from God at this point. He had heard from God, but now he had turned his back on hearing from God and he had his own ideas. Aside from me, apart from me, ye can do nothing. What can we do with God in our lives? Are we willing to take the discipline? Are we willing to take the gospel and share it with others? What are we doing to bear fruit? What are we doing to produce much fruit for the glory of the Father? I hope, I hope that's something for you to think about this week and to be praying about that God help me to be a fruitful Christian for you. Let's go ahead and close in a word of prayer. Dear Father God, thank you so much for your word that you've given to us. Thank you for this encounter that you had with Peter that teaches us so much. Lord, help us to learn to, to live for the future and not just for the present. Help us to learn to uh, embrace your correction and, and not to be afraid of it and not to, to run from it. Uh, Lord, I pray you would help us to learn from the correction that you give to us and, and not to fight it. Uh, help us not have the, the attitude that most of the people in the world today have that we're perfect just the way we are. We know we have things to correct. We know we have things uh, that need to, to be adjusted according to your word. Help us to think your thoughts. Help us to, uh, to act the way that you would act. We want you to be glorified in all that's said and done. We love you and praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.